Welcome to episode 23 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Star Wars fans, welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. Uh, we have a lot to talk about on this show. Uh, they're just wrapped up D23 uh, 2019 out in Anaheim at the Anaheim Convention Center, and I am lucky enough this week that my usual co-host, Tom, uh, happened to be in attendance at that event. So, Tom, we're really looking forward to hearing kind of your first-person perspective on what went down out there in Anaheim. I'm looking forward to talking about it, and it's always a pleasure to be on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. <laughs> Great. Um, I do want to give a quick thank you to our listeners. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to record the podcast last week due to uh, some family issues that uh, I ran up against. I have a sister that has been um, basically cared for by my parents since she was 19, so for about 25 years uh, after a drowning accident, and she was going through some health issues, and uh, there was some question as to whether she was going to pull out of it, but uh, fortunately, she is doing well, and we are able to go ahead and continue on with the podcast, uh, knowing that she is in good shape. So for those of you who reached out and uh, sent your well wishes, very much appreciated, and for those of you who uh, were just patient with us and let us have that week off to, to uh, kind of deal with that personal matter, I appreciate that very much. Uh, we value having you guys as listeners. So without any further ado, we'll go ahead and jump right into the podcast. And I guess uh, what we should really start with here, uh, there were a number of Star Wars related uh, announcements that came out of D23 this year. And for those of you who aren't familiar, D23 is basically the Disney fan club. Uh, and they encompass everything under the Star Wars umbrella. So Marvel, uh, Star Wars, Parks and Recreation, uh, basically anything that you can think of, and it's kind of a big deal. They do it every couple of years. And Tom, why don't you give us a little uh, idea of, of how the convention went this year? Well, it's, it's, this is our second time going. We went back in 2017 as well, and it's always an exciting Disney event. Uh, they usually have several panels throughout the day, usually a couple major panels that happen in their largest room. If you kind of know uh, uh, Comic-Con, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, or many of the Comic-Cons, it's kind of the similar... Uh, idea it just it's just all Disney stuff but that includes as you just talked about Rob the uh, Lucasfilm and Star Wars uh, Marvel Pixar there are so many things now under the Disney umbrella that it, really there's a lot of stuff to cover they even had the Simpsons this year for the first time ever because uh, you know uh, Disney just recently bought uh, 21st Century Fox so that's also been added so to their catalog corporate overlords right? yeah that's pretty much it that's pretty much it Terrific. Um, and certainly there were a, a ton of awesome Star Wars reveals this year. And it's it's really been a great year for Star Wars overall. Uh, we started the year off with 
uh, Star Wars Celebration Chicago, and we got uh, some nice previews of The Mandalorian uh, and a little a little bit of a teaser uh, for The Rise of Skywalker out of that uh, with the first trailer drop in there. And that then continued on um, into the, the San Diego Comic-Con that I know you attended. There was some reveals right before that with the new Red Armored Sith Troopers. And now that has kind of culminated at D23 with some even bigger reveals. There were some talk about um, whether Ewan McGregor would be coming back and reprising his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi with the new series. Uh, that is something that's been bandied about for years without really coming to fruition. Initially, it was thought it was going to be a movie, but we did get some information about that at D23. Uh, we got some information about the new season of The Clone Wars that should wrap up that storyline that people have been clamoring for for years. Uh, and I know that the uh, hashtag Clone Wars Saved has been kind of a big deal ever since that was announced. And then we also got some new information, a new trailer for uh, the Rise of Skywalker during this, as well as a new trailer for The Mandalorian. Uh, so we can just go ahead and jump right into that. And I think what we'll do is we'll start with a little clip of some of these reveals as they were played out at D23. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce a woman who has ushered in a new era of Star Wars storytelling and introduced a new generation to the excitement and epic adventure of a galaxy far, far away. She's here to share some information about the stories that will continue to expand the Star Wars universe exclusively on Disney+. Ladies and gentlemen, Lucasfilm's President Kathleen Kennedy. Hi, everybody. This is incredibly exciting to be here to talk about Disney Plus. This service will be the home to the entire Star Wars collection. But before delving into our live action projects, I want to tell you a bit of news about the animated series, Clone Wars. As you know, Dave Filoni began this over a decade ago. And we heard from you the plea to bring this series back. So I'm happy to say it will debut on Disney Plus in February 2020. So that was the reveal for The Clone Wars uh, coming out in February of 2020. And I know that uh, both Tom and I have been highly anticipating that. Tom, uh, were you in the room for that reveal? And if so, what were your thoughts when that came out? Yeah, that, that reveal came in during the Disney Plus panel. And I uh, was very excited. I was actually hoping we would get some more footage uh, from that uh, reveal. But uh, we just heard the date of when it's going to be hitting Disney Plus, which is only a couple months after it actually uh, debuts, of course, Disney Plus is debuting in November of this year. So that's exciting. But uh, yeah, really not a lot that we got uh, from Clone Wars Season 7, but it, it still is exciting just to know that it's it's on the, the horizon. Yeah, and uh, following that, uh, Kathleen Kennedy jumped right into this clip where she talks a little bit about the new Cassian Andor series that's coming out. And now I'd like to bring out two actors who will star in a new spy series inspired by Rogue One that's coming to Disney Plus, and it's currently in pre-production. Reprising their roles from Rogue One, Diego Luna returns as the charismatic rebel leader Cassian Andor 
and Alan Tudyk as the wise-cracking, reprogrammed Imperial droid. <laughs> So many people, <laughs> wow. Do we have a title? Can we say a title? Uh, or? Not uh, quite yet. No? Okay, no. I, that's good actually, because I have a suggestion okay. for a title. Because uh, right now it's being called... Yeah, it's, it's uh, Cassian Andor, the untitled story. No? Which is missing something. No, uh, it's okay. Like that. I'm thinking K2 Fast, K2 Furious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Alan. A Cassian Andor story. <laughs> <laughs> We've got you and me in there. <laughs> so uh, basically what they had done there was uh, bring Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk out on stage, and they kind of talked a little bit uh, about, at a very high level, about what was going on with the Cassian Andor series. Uh, they still have not announced a title for that yet, not even... Um, really a lot of detail around it other than to say that it's going to be starting to shoot. It's in pre-production right now and it's going to start shooting in 2020. Uh, so hopefully that means that we're going to get that either late 2020 or possibly 2021. And it's going to be kind of a spy-themed uh, thriller Star Wars story, which will be kind of a nice little niche that we haven't uh, dug into a whole lot yet within uh, really any of the Star Wars content that's out there. So uh, what's the reaction like for that in the room, Tom? It was great. I mean, whenever you get uh, a couple of stars like Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk coming out there, and they have such great chemistry, you can just really see it uh, when they're around each other. They they just have a great time together, and I think it also comes out on the screen as well as as of course Cassian and K2SO just just work so well together. It's it just a, a perfect marriage almost of the two, and I yeah I'm excited for that series. A total espionage, you know. I mean, obviously. Uh, Cassian is is rebel intelligence, so uh, should be a really fascinating series. I, K2SO is one of our favorite droids, if not our favorite, and, and Alec Tudyk is is great in everything he does. So, we, yeah, we're excited about it and uh, can't wait until that happens. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit if they haven't even started shooting yet, and nothing in Star Wars comes easily because they you know they have to add effects and everything else. But we'll be excited when that finally does hit Disney Plus. Yeah, I actually think that anyone who knows me may think that I'm also a reprogrammed Imperial droid. I tend to say whatever comes through my circuits as well. So um, it's certainly one of the great things about the character of K2SO. Alan Tudyk uh, plays him to such uh, amazing ends in, in uh, Star Wars, uh, I'm sorry, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And, uh, you know, whether he's playing a clueless chicken in Moana or K2SO, he always definitely brings, uh, you know, kind of that human element to animals or inanimate objects that uh, otherwise you wouldn't really expect to kind of have that sort of emotion. So he's a great character. Uh, we love Cassie and Andor. Um, I think being able to kind of get the backstories for both of those characters is going to be incredible. And it's really going to let us dig into a period of time that's not really uh, addressed in a lot of current Star Wars content. There is some of it within uh, Star Wars Rebels, the animated series, kind of seeing the the emergence of the Rebellion. But uh, Cassian, by his own admission in Rogue One, uh, has been involved with the Rebellion since he was six years old. And you've got to believe that he's got some incredible stories kind of as the Rebellion was uh, coming together. 
within the universe. Right. You've got to believe it's going to be a very gritty series. You know, I mean, you, you saw some of the scenes to begin Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and how they're kind of, you know, meeting connections in back alleys and trying to get information. And, you know, it's just going to be one of those kind of series, I believe. And I also love when the, those two were on stage and Diego Luna was, you know, kind of making fun of Alan Tudyk. And, you know, it's like, hey, this guy gets to say whatever he wants. He needs to, doesn't need to follow the script. I go off script. Forget it. He gets to say whatever you want but that's just you know that's just so Alan Tudyk he's just so naturally funny that it's got to be great for it and and, it, and he's got to add so much to every time he plays any of these roles but especially K2SO yeah and it's such an important element really if you've got anyone who's providing comedic content uh, for them to be able to kind of do what they do and and rely on their own sense of comedic timing for how they deliver their lines or uh, even kind of how they go about portraying that character, I think that is the key to success. It's not something that someone can really write for them. Uh, so, uh, you know, I get where I get where Diego, Diego Luna is coming from there. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, it's hard to argue with Alan Tudyk. He's been uh, around for quite some time, and he's had a lot of success bringing these characters to life. Yeah, he's just such a just a great performer, does so many things well, um, and basically is you know, obviously huge in Star Wars now, but also has just become one of the uh, darlings of Disney and is in virtually every animated film they make now, even if it's just, like you said, just a uh, kind of loopy chicken, <laughs> you know, the voice of a loopy chicken. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's kind of off uh, topic for Star Wars, but if uh, if people did not ever watch the series Firefly for the limited time it was on or uh, the film Serenity that came out in theaters, Alan Tudyk was involved with that along with Nathan Fillion and, and a great cast. Uh, and those were really entertaining uh, shows and a film to watch. So it kind of gives you an idea of the fact that, you know, he really kind of started uh, in a sci-fi type genre, sci-fi western type genre. And uh, really that is, uh, you know, the kind of the money spot for Star Wars as well. So he has long been a good fit for this franchise. Yeah, started with the Whedonverse, moved over to the Star Wars universe. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen uh, Firefly, you, you should check it out. It's uh, Unfortunately, it's, its run was very short-lived, uh, but it is a really well-done series, and uh, Alan Tudyk is a, is a key part of it. Moving on from there, uh, the next kind of big reveal that we got at Star Wars Celebration, I'm sorry, at D23, uh, was one that we expected, which was more information on The Mandalorian. And here's what Kathleen Kennedy had to say about that. And now I have the pleasure of talking about The Mandalorian. This is going to be our first series coming to Disney Plus on November 12th. And there is no one better to tell you about it than executive producer and writer and new Disney legend, John Favreau, and future legend, Dave Filoni. Would you like cast. to meet our cast? Let's do it. Let's bring, bring them, them out. out. Let's bring them out. Here they come. Here they come. We got Pedro Pascal. There he is. Come on out. We got we got Gina Carano. Come on, Gina. We got Carl Weathers. And we got something. You want it? You want to finish it up? We got Giancarlo Esposito. And we've got we Taika 
Waititi. Do these people not look like they belong in the Star Wars universe? And while we did get to see some footage from The Mandalorian back during Star Wars Celebration in April, uh, kind of one of the things about that footage was that it was still pretty raw, it was still pretty unfinished, and for a series that has a $100 million uh, budget, and only 10 episodes, I believe, so it's roughly $10 million an episode, uh, they're clearly approaching this from the standpoint of turning out episodes that stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with any Star Wars film you've seen on screen, and the footage that we got for The Mandalorian at Star Wars, uh, at I'm going to keep doing this, at D23, it may as well have been Star Wars Celebration uh, <laughs> 2.0 uh, in 2019, but the footage that we got was definitely on par with anything that you would have come to expect from Star Wars. Yeah, I, they've, they've put the money into it. It's, it. Yes, it rivals anything you've seen in Star Wars films or anything you've seen in any television series, you know, thinking along the lines of Game of Thrones or whatever. Uh, the fact that they're putting this money in it, they're willing to flip the bill, they really believe in its success, and it looks stunning. Uh, we got to uh, in this panel, we were out there. They had the whole cast come out at first, and they all went into the crowd to watch the trailer together, which was uh, really great and just a, another fun aspect of this happening because you can just see how excited they are for this series to kick off as well. And it's kind of cool that they did that. I, I had missed the, the full panel. I didn't actually see them going out into the crowd. And I do know at Star Wars Celebration when they were playing a lot of these uh, clips. I know that when they did it for uh, the Clone Wars, uh, Filoni had put together a clip that they watched for the new season of the Clone Wars at, at uh, Star Wars Celebration, and a lot of the voice actors had kind of turned around and sat down on the stage so they could kind of watch it uh, from the same perspective as the crowd. So uh, letting them kind of go out and mingle with the fans and get to watch it from that standpoint is definitely a cool way to connect with uh, people that are clearly hard hardcore Star Wars fans. Yeah, and, and just, you know, Star Wars, this is, you know, obviously Star Wars Celebration, all Star Wars fans. This is Star Wars fans, Disney fans, Marvel fans. It's across the board, but everybody appreciated it. And like I said, more than anything else, I think it was just that impressive that these these stars of the series who are in it are so excited to also see what the end product is beginning to take shape as you know that they wanted to yes be out in the crowd but also have it full in front of them not just kind of watching on a screen backstage or it's like oh yeah here we are okay now we're going to go off stage you guys watch this no they wanted to be immersed in it as well yeah and i mean given the amount of green screen and and the types of technology they use to make a lot of these shows I've got to believe that it's still in a lot of ways similar to what it was like when they shot the original Star Wars, which is the actors going through and, and putting forth their performances in an environment and not really being able to picture how that was going to look on uh, in its final cut on screen because they don't get to see all the special effect shots that get added in. They don't get to see uh, the things that are kind of being done in the background. and. Even with the way the technology has progressed, I mean, you know that you've got some of these scenes where they're using green screen, you know, they're using uh, a lot of special effects shots. So these characters uh, being able to see what the final product is has got to be like they're seeing it for the first time. And uh, it's got to be very fulfilling to kind of see that, you know, a great performance uh, put together with all that great technology and all that special effects work can really turn out a top-notch product. Yeah, I mean, we'll just take like Taika Waititi, who's uh, playing IG-11. Uh, you know, he's out there voicing this. He's 
possibly doing some uh, motion capture out there during the production of it, but he hasn't seen himself in this role, what, it, what it'll end up being. And so obviously when he gets to see a cut like this, he's like, oh, there's IG-11. There I am as this character. So it's got to be very fulfilling for him in that regard and even more fulfilling come November when it uh, pops up on Disney+. Plus. So exciting. Yeah, and the other kind of cool thing about seeing that trailer was that it really did dovetail nicely with the last episode we did where we started to uh, diving into some of these bounty hunters that we had seen in Empire Strikes Back and as we mentioned during that episode you know while it's not IG-88 that you see within the Mandalorian we are seeing IG-11 it is the same uh, type of assassin droid that IG-88 was and to see that character come to life on screen again there were some very brief rough shots of IG-11 kind of mowing down people uh, on the streets of, of one of these towns back in Star Wars Celebration and to see that finished footage where he's firing ahead and behind and you see his photoreceptors, uh, you know, his, his uh, head on that particular assassin droid is split into basically three parts that all rotate indivi individually of each other and to kind of <laughs> see all of those moving around as he's firing in various directions, it was incredible to see that on screen. So many interesting scenes within that trailer itself. Uh, I was taken aback by it, how beautiful it looked, how gritty, how dirty, how just so Star Wars it looked. But he also, you can just tell there's much more of an edge to this by just some of the scenes we saw. Speaking of IG-11 and uh, The Mandalorian, it was interesting to see that there's one scene where you just kind of peek in through a door of a cantina or some sort of room, and they're walking in together. Does that mean they're teamed up? What What is the situation between those two? I'm curious to find out for sure. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. And it kind of bears noting, you talk about how gritty and, and dirty and rough and everything looks. Uh, I was just watching something the other day where they were talking about the fact that the director of photography for The Mandalorian is the same uh, gentleman who had done that or performed that role for Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. So there is a lot of that same visual feel uh, to both of those, uh, to the film and, and now the series. Uh, and that is uh, now crystal clear in my mind how that occurred. Yeah, uh, just it looks spectacular. It looks that it's in a world that, as we've talked about many times on this show, Rob, it's a world that looks lived in, like it's been around for generations, and it, it just is everything you desire from a Star Wars series, especially something that's going to be dealing with bounty hunters. Uh, so it's it, it, it just... I just can't be more excited for it. It's one of the reasons we signed up right away for, for Disney Plus on November because we want day one, November 12th, to be calling up the Mandalorian as soon as it hits our system that we can actually play it. Yeah, and it bears noting that this was something that was opened up to the any any members of D23, any gold or uh, family members of D23 out there at the D23 Expo were able to sign up for a special three-year rate. Um, for, I believe it was $140 and change, which uh, still comes out to less than $50 a year, which, uh, again, the, the price that's going to be available to the general public uh, on day one and November 12th of uh, this year when that comes out is, I believe, $69.99 uh, if you want to do the one-year package, which is still an incredible value uh, in terms of the type of content you're going to be getting. But uh, D23 members uh, at certain levels, gold and above, are going to have the ability to sign up for that three-year package at an even greater discount. And 
it sounds like they've already opened that up to even the folks that were not at the D23 Expo. Right. Anybody who attended the D23 Expo could have signed up for Disney Plus while you were there. They had a very large pavilion uh, with screens. They had talks about it very often, and they had many, many data pads where you could enter in your, your information and sign up for it. Uh, and we did right away, first day, because we knew we were going to get it. And it's such a steal at that rate. It's less than uh, $4 a month is what it weighs out to. And yes, if you are a D23 Gold or Gold family member, uh, currently right now for the next, I don't know exactly how long, but it, it is available right now, uh, you can sign up for that same deal. But even if you are not, uh, it is still it, it, the one-year subscription rate as it stands right now, to me, uh, especially after going to this panel where we got to see how much is going to be included within Disney+, Plus, it's 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 really a bargain. Uh, it's, just, it's just crazy, all the content they're, they're going to have that is from the past as well as everything they are currently developing. It's, it's an amazing, uh, it, it's really going to be an amazing package. Yeah, you put a big smile on my face too because all of your visits to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, and the, the city of Black Spire Outpost are starting to show. You referred to them as data pads. I know, so I knew you'd love that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm picking up on that already. Um, the, Tom and I, when we, when we chat online, the most common salutation I get is Bright Sun. So he is, uh, <laughs> he is rapidly turning into a Batuan. Yes, yes. <laughs> rising moon. <laughs> yeah. So the other uh, the other item that I don't want to forget to mention is after they had done the kind of uh, discussion with Cassian, or I'm sorry, with Diego Luna and uh, with Alan Tudyk. Um, shortly after that, uh, Kathleen Kennedy had uh, a visitor show up on stage, and you and McGregor came out and basically told Kathleen Kennedy to ask him if he was going to be playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again, and this is how that all played out. So, before leaving, we do have one more announcement. After secrets and fibs and not being able to talk about it, I am thrilled to bring out a beloved member of the Star Wars family. Music swells. <laughs> Kathleen, Kathleen, can you ask me in front of all of these people, all of these witnesses, can you please ask me, am I going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi again? Ewan? Yes? Are you going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi again? Yes. <laughs> So, Tom, I know you were in the crowd uh, when that exchange went down, and what were the thoughts kind of going through your head? I know you kind of said that uh, it was uh, something that you had initially forgotten about. It kind of slipped your mind in the excitement of everything else going on. Right. Well, it, if you remember going back to just a few episodes ago when we were talking about, you know, what could possibly be the lineage of Ray, and I discussed the part of the reason why I would, I'm hoping that she's a Kenobi is because I want to see 
Ewan McGregor return as Kenobi, you know, whether it be in a film, whether it be in a series, whatever the case may be. It wasn't long after that that we got the rumors again. This isn't the first time we've received these rumors, but they came out again that this is actually going to happen. They're working on a deal right now. But, you know, we got to day one of the D23 Expo, and there was just so much going on. I just kind of put it by the wayside forgotten about it uh as we were going through the star wars part of this disney uh plus panel i was more just basking in the glow of the mandalorian how how great the cast was how everything how the, how wonderful the trailer looked and right before they left uh, i can't remember if it was filoni or favreau he's like you know thanks for everything i believe kathleen has one more thing for you and i'm like one more thing what is that and then she starts to talk and she's like this has been kind of rumored for a while we've been kind of had to pass. and as soon as she said that i was like oh my goodness it's happening it really is happening and i was a wreck i was an absolutely a, if you had a camera on me it would be one of the most embarrassing moments of my life because i was absolutely sobbing about this whole thing and she's like yes and now today we can confirm it and she's a ewan mcgregor comes out and just you know you just heard the clip there uh i was absolutely sobbing in my seat i was so happy to hear it I liked Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original trilogy. I love Ewan McGregor's performance in the prequel trilogy. I think it's one of the high points of the entire trilogy. I've grown to love Obi-Wan Kenobi even more through the Clone Wars, but I just could not be more excited for it. And I, it just, just one more reason why. Like, yeah, Disney Plus taking my money now. Yeah, I can't blame you for that either. I mean, uh, we've talked about this uh, ad nauseum on the Hyperion Adventures podcast uh, when we have done the prequel films. Uh, for your series of Star Wars Remembered. And uh, the thing that kept coming up over and over and over again was that Ewan McGregor and his portrayal of Obi-Wan Kenobi was, as you said, the highlight of a lot of those prequel films. And uh, the cool thing about his uh, his approach to playing that character was that, you know, while all the other actors around him were just kind of coming in and playing their roles, he was spending time with... Uh, a vocal coach trying to get down all the mannerisms of the portrayal of Obi-Wan Kenobi by uh, Sir Alec Guinness. And again, we've talked about this before as well, that Sir Alec Guinness and his professional approach to how he filmed Star Wars, which, you know, even even at the time he was kind of saying was this bizarre, star, you know, space flick um, that that he was partaking in. He still came in every day. He was professional. He made the actors around him better. And, you know, really set the tone for for that character and to see that respected by Ewan McGregor when he came in and portrayed him in the prequels and to see how seriously he took that character. He clearly loves playing him, uh, which I think is why that translates to the fans. So many of the fans love Ewan McGregor in that role. Yeah, and you could tell I wasn't the only one that was going absolutely bonkers in the, the crowd when uh, they announced this, and then he showed up on stage and everything. The the It may have been the most... It was one of the most electric... Uh, times throughout this whole panel for sure and it was it was what closed out the panel by the way they knew that this was going to be big all this star wars stuff was going to be big uh that's why they closed out the panel with star wars and that's why they closed out the panel exactly with this announcement because it's so exciting and um i just i cannot wait they, they've already said and they also said that it's 
already the scripts are mostly already written they're pretty much ready to go on this thing so it may be you know it out as early as when the Cassian Andor series if not before because because it sounds like they are ready to go yeah and that's super exciting uh that again is going to be another series that Kenobi series is going to be set roughly at the same point in the Star Wars timeline as uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. So there is the potential for there to be some crossover uh, between some of those characters that were portrayed in Solo. Um, I know that kind of one of the other theories I've heard bandied about a little bit uh, with Rey is that, you know, she could somehow be uh, linked back to Kira and Darth Maul. Um, which, you know, there would be the chance for some of that to play out if they chose to go that direction. But, uh, you know, it's it's another one of those periods in the Star Wars timeline that we don't have a lot of stories currently in canon. It was certainly fleshed out in Legends, but uh, they are kind of rebuilding canon for that time period. And this is going to be uh, a really kind of cool uh, way to see what was going on with Obi-Wan Kenobi during those long years where he was kind of safeguarding uh, Luke from the dangers of the galaxy. Yeah, and I just got to believe in this. We again, we talked about this a couple episodes ago that uh, that you know he wasn't just sitting there being the old hermit, you know, the whole time he was there. That every once in a while he had to be called upon for a mission, whether it be from Bail Organa or whoever the case may be, that he would find a way to do something to help the, the universe while still, of course, watching over Luke to make sure he grows up and is ready if he was the chosen one or whatever they wanted to call him. But knowing that he played a vital role within the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and I'm actually going to be pretty interested to see if they take advantage of the chance to uh, lay in some groundwork for some of the things that have been speculated on by fans. Uh, There has been a conversation uh, bandied about for years about where Luke got that green kyber crystal that we see in his lightsaber in the events of Return of the Jedi. And there's a school of thought out there that that could have been uh, the crystal from Qui-Gon's saber. So uh, this is potentially a a timeline where they could lay in some of that into canon if they so decided to. Um, And and I think that would be uh, kind of a cool little twist uh, and tie everything together even more tightly. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you remember back to near the end of Revenge of the Sith, I mean, one of the things that Yoda tells Obi-Wan before he, you know, before they split up and go their different directions was, you know, you you know, we're going to show you a way to or learn a way to uh kind of communicate commute with the Force and, you know, this is how we know that these uh Force ghosts have kind of came to be and that was by uh, Obi-Wan's master of course, of course, Qui-Gon Jinn. So, uh will any of that come into it? Uh, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm not thinking they're going to make a full episode out of it but it'd be interesting if there's a little aspect of that uh within the show as we progress through it i would be surprised if they didn't kind of weave that into the series Uh, we have seen some of that within the clone wars um and kind of certainly a a piece of yoda uh having that uh, getting being communicated to by qui-gon jinn and uh dealing with um kind of the 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 wills um, the guardians of the wills who were the ones that actually taught that to qui-gon so uh there is a backstory already within canon that that links that to uh the clone wars and and i'd be very surprised if they don't work that into kenobi as well yeah like i said i don't know if they'll make a full episode around it but it wouldn't surprise me if that is uh, some aspect of the show yeah i'm thinking probably more just recurring reoccurring piece that uh shows up in various episodes so 
Um, and that all brings us to kind of the big reveal of D23 in terms of uh, Star Wars, which is that they did release a new uh, sizzle reel, I believe they call it. It's essentially the second trailer for Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. And that went like this. So looking at that trailer, I mean, I had to watch it probably 15 times before my brain could even start processing what I was seeing. Um, the beginning of that trailer is very much focused on uh, clips from all of the preceding films uh, all the way up through episode eight. And they're kind of grouped together, interestingly, because they're not necessarily in chronological order. They're kind of uh, lumped together by kind of themes, I guess. So uh, you see uh, victories, you see defeats, you see uh, connections being made between characters. And um, while some people have kind of glossed over that portion of the trailer, I do think that um, that is something that's going to kind of, especially in hindsight, after seeing the film, you're going to kind of be able to go back and, and understand uh, some of the points that they were getting to. But the fact that they are trying to show... Um, uh, Anakin and uh, Padme, and then Han Solo and Leia. Um, there's been some discussion that, you know, you're talking about the grandparents and the parents of Kylo Ren, so whether that's going to tie into um, kind of the backstory of he and Rey. And, um, again, some of the defeats that, that uh, they faced, and especially Luke um, with his defeat by Vader in the bowels of Bespin there, 
uh, where he had that choice to to turn to the dark side and join Darth Vader or uh, kind of sacrifice himself uh, and save himself from falling to the dark side. Uh, we all know how that played out. And uh, kind of as we get into some of the details of the rest of this uh, trailer, there's going to be some question as to whether there's going to be some of those same choices that need to be made by characters that we know within uh, the sequel film. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it was a fascinating trailer. And by the way, it just, I, 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 I was so excited when it happened. It was it was incredible to watch in person uh, being released for the first time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the you know the first part of that trailer it really is you know yes all the things you you talked about, but also you know mostly they wanted to show the entire uh, catalog, the entire journey that we've gone on because this is the end of the Skywalker saga. So they let us. It started off, of course, by moving through some of the a lot of the stuff from the original trilogy then moving on to the prequels and then yes on to the sequels and uh you know key emotional moments key things that happen and then we'll see if that ends up playing out in the film itself but definitely was uh, the, the a, an important way to kind of start this it wasn't it's not i mean although they're releasing it it's not really a trailer they they did some things to make it similar to a trailer but it was more of a like you said rob a sizzle reel than anything else but it is an excellent way to to lead into uh, what is going to be and for all accounts an epic epic finale yeah i cannot uh, argue with that at all and we'll kind of walk through uh, the various components of this uh, sizzle reel and talk about them kind of one at a time if you're all right with that yeah let's do it awesome so once we get through the portion of the trailer which is uh, of the sizzle reel where it's basically showing all the all the scenes from the films up until this point uh, we kind of open the new content on our group of uh, resistance uh, fighters uh, with Ray and Finn and Poe and Chewie and 3PO and R2 and uh, Dio, I'm sure, is there as well, although I didn't see him in the shot. Um, it looked very similar to a shot from that first trailer where we saw all of them kind of arranged on a hillside. And then we get to kind of see that shot uh, from behind them. So we look out on uh, this giant kind of town in the desert um I think it, it was burning man like no i'm sorry <laughs> i think it was burning man <laughs> right right no and i mean it kind of looks like a nomad encampment probably more than a more than a city or a town it looked but, like a festival um, or something was going on there there yeah. was a lot of color you know up in the air like there, there was some sort of fe they stumbled across some sort of festival or something yep they have, they have kites in the air and kind of they're not really fireworks it'd be uh, kind of what fireworks would look like if they were done with dust i guess uh, or sand, but yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I believe this is the scene where they're kind of looking out over an encampment of the Aki Aki, which are the natives of the planet of Pasana that uh, has been discussed in the first trailer. And uh, I think it's pretty clear that that is where this particular scene is taking place within the sizzle reel. So um, not a lot of new information here, but it is interesting to note that uh, this is the same planet where we see Ray facing off against that TIE fighter in the first trailer and uh, where they're having that chase sequence uh, kind of later in that first trailer. So uh, it would be probably pretty fair to assume that uh, the transport that they're escaping on is something that was taken from this particular encampment. Right, and if you, if you look uh, closely as you see that shot from the front of them, you do see a little piece of the Millennium Falcon in the background, so that's obviously how they arrived on this planet, uh, how, why they're there. Um, I'm interested to find out for sure. Right, uh, and then from that particular scene, it transitions to a shot of uh, General Leia 
Organa, uh, standing in kind of a lush tropical looking planet. Um, I know that there's some people who've said that this looks like it could easily be uh, the forest moon of Endor. Although I would say that uh, really that particular planet um, did not seem to be quite as tropical as the footage we're seeing here. So it's certainly possible it could be a different area of that planet. Um, but uh, really the thing to note about this scene is this is one of the, the salvage scenes that they had shot from The Force Awakens. And really what they've done is um, basically put a new outfit on Princess Leia. And they've done it seamlessly. I mean, you really can't tell. Uh, that that the shot has been altered at all, but um, if this is indicative of how they're going to fold her into this film, despite the fact that she passed um, not long after uh, the end of the Last Jedi, then I think that uh, this is going to work out pretty well. Well, yeah, because uh, before this, before we saw the trailer, we had the whole uh, cast out there, and uh, JJ uh, did come out along with Kathleen Kennedy and kind of uh, discuss the film a little bit. And one of the things he wanted to mention for sure is uh, Carrie Fisher and as Leo Organa, and the fact that uh, you know she is so important to the Star Wars universe that he, she is basically the heart of Star Wars, and I completely agree with that. I actually believe she's. In, arguably the biggest hero within the Star Wars universe, at least within these films. Uh, but, you know, that it was important to, you know, if they could do it, uh, make it happen. And, you know, they found enough footage that they, from the originally shot from The Force Awakens that they could write around that. And he also mentioned that he had an interesting comment that originally he was not tabbed to be the writer and, and director of this film. He was, thought he was going to be one and done and just be kind of the producer from here on out. And uh, he ended up getting a, uh, a copy of uh, Carrie Fisher's book. And he read there, there was a certain paragraph in there. And he, you know, he, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something along the lines of like, I want to thank JJ for putting up with me twice. Okay, well, she had passed away long before the decision was made that he was going to come back and direct this movie. He had only directed her the one time within The Force Awakens. So he says it, it, it kind of was like her signal to me that I needed to take this on and that she needed to be a part of it. It was just a really, really interesting and, and touching moment, actually, from this panel. Yeah, I did, I did remember hearing that, um, the, the, you know, basically J.J. reciting that particular story. And um, certainly uh, there is some irony to the fact that, you know, whether that was just uh, Carrie Fisher misspeaking or whether she was just convinced that they were going to bring J.J. back for episode nine, whatever the case may be. Uh, it definitely sounds like she knew more about it than the rest of us. And I'm certainly uh, glad that J.J. Abrams was was the, the person who ended up directing this film. I think that um, if anyone was going to have a chance to kind of bring it to a a satisfying close. He was the one. Um, I was really happy with how things worked out in The Force Awakens. Um, certainly it wasn't without some criticism, but overall I thought that he did a great job of, of telling that story and really kind of getting the the actors to bring back some of that um, connection, some of that camaraderie that was such a huge part of the original trilogy films. Yeah, and the fact that he's he is a Star Wars fan. He's been a Star Wars fan since he was, you know, really young, obviously. And, you know, the fact that he knew that part of the things he loved about Star Wars, that it had to be, you know, more of a, a physical environment, that there, there needed to be more practical effects, that there needed to be more practical um, objects within this world. It can't be... 
Yes, is are there going to be CG? Of course, but it can't be all about the CG. That that's what this world feels with. It's not clean. It's not sharp. It is dirty. It's gritty. It's been around for generations, for thousands of years, and that it really needs to be a universe that feels lived in. And I think he brought that back to the Force Awakens, and it continued in through the Last Jedi. And I have no doubt it's going to be the same way in the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, from that particular scene, we move on to a shot of the Rebel Alliance or the Resistance fleet uh, coming out of hyperspace. And one of the coolest things about this particular scene is that uh, amongst all of the starfighters that we see, and we've got X-Wings, we've got A-Wings, we've got Y-Wings, all the usual suspects that we see within a Star Wars film, but uh, it was very satisfying to see a number of B-Wing fighters uh, in that particular shot as well. Uh, something that I don't think we've gotten enough of in previous Star Wars films, and there's just such uh, there's such a cool starfighter. Um, they're kind of a, a heavy offensive weapon. They're uh, meant to help take out enemy capital ships, and uh, you know we just have not seen them that much. Uh, there may have been a few brief sightings within Return of the Jedi, and there's also a Corellian Corvette, uh, which is the ship that we see at the very beginning of the first Star Wars film. And uh, that that ship has not been identified yet, but it, I thought it would be really cool if, uh, as kind of wrapping up this this particular uh, nine-story arc, if we ended up right back where we started with the Tantive uh, Four. Uh, from the original Star Wars film. Yeah, it was fascinating. That was one of the things that called out to me the first viewing of this. It's like, okay, look at this. This looks, it, it could have come right out of the original trilogy because of the ships that were uh, portrayed in it that, that did co do come out of hyperspace there. And, you know, my thought process on it, it is okay. So what is this? Is this a, the group that's already together that they're going somewhere? Is this kind of, you know, because if you remember from The Last Jedi, one of the things is that they, when they're on crate uh, they tried to put a call out to, to try and get some help and their calls were unanswered is this finally the call being answered by some other uh you know resistance uh allies out there uh, it really fascinating and, and uh, i can't wait to see how that plays out but i loved seeing all those ships emerge again it just like i said it called right back to the original trilogy yeah and this particular shot um really took me right back to the first trailer that came out for this film uh there's a brief shot of an a-wing kind of trailing smoke um looking like it's on its way down and it flashes past a star destroyer and there was a lot of thought at the at the time that first trailer came out that that star destroyer might have been a uh, first order star destroyer but um, I spent some time, uh, whether this is sad or not, it remains to be seen, but I spent a lot of time slowing that scene down and trying to uh, get a better identification on that Star Destroyer. And from the, the superstructure uh, around the, the command area and the shield generators and everything, it is absolutely one of the Star Destroyers, the Imperial Star Destroyers that we see in the very next scene of this, uh, of this particular sizzle reel. Um, and that particular scene that I'm talking about, what you see is kind of uh, this cloudy, uh, lightning-streaked, uh, kind of bluish-black sky, and just hundreds of Imperial Star Destroyers uh, lined up. I, I think some people think that this is uh, kind of meant to indicate a confrontation directly between the Resistance and um, this group of Star Destroyers within the sizzle reel, but uh, the backgrounds for the two locations seem completely different, and kind of taking a look at these Star Destroyers, there are very few lights on on them, so it kind of reminds me of 
kind of a, a parking lot or a, um, a location where these ships are basically just sitting there on standby awaiting Palpatine or whoever uh, may be coming to take command of them uh, and lead them against the uh, resistance or the, the new Republic. I, uh, I was momentarily at a loss for, uh, for the <laughs> name of the government after the end of the original Star Wars trilogy. But, um, you know, I think that particular shot is, is taking place uh, and it ties in really closely with the next shot we see, which is Finn and Jaina or Jana, um, kind of looking out the cockpit at a, in a very similar kind of environment with that bluish black sky, the lightning streaks. Uh, and I assume that they're looking at this group of star destroyers, uh, kind of with a shocked look on their face. So, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out within the film. The one thing about that sky and the backdrop there is that it really flashed me back to solo, a star Wars story when, uh, Han was kind of navigating them through the maw and that does tie into Star Wars Legends because that was kind of one of the locations. The There was a Maw installation where uh, the second Death Star had been built, and it was kind of Palpatine's hidey hole for his, uh, for his tech. And it looks like they may be bringing some of that back in this film. Yeah, it totally makes sense. That was my first instinct as well that you had. It was kind of a parking lot or a stockpile or whatever you want to call it for where these ships were. Because they did see dormant and they did see that there were so many and they were spaced pretty evenly apart. Uh, and, you know, you know, again, where does this tie in? Is it waiting for Palpatine, as you suggested, Rob? Or is it something that the First Order is trying to discover? I, I tend to... if. if if you're just going to have me speculate on it, I do believe that this is something that that they're getting word of, that this is where Palpatine might be going, and that if he comes across this, then it's going to be really tough to stop what they believe is going to progress. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see if, if they kind of get the location for this hidden fleet um, as a byproduct of the scenes that we've seen with them kind of on the fallen Death Star, if that is part of what Ray uh, is able to salvage from the Death Star or the remains of the Death Star uh, is a location of this hidden fleet. So um, again, there are a lot of similar types of stories that occurred in Star Wars Legends. And we know that J.J. Abrams specifically is not afraid to kind of go into Legends and um, restoke some of that into canon. And, and they've certainly done that within a lot of the books as well and the animated series. So um, it looks like they're, you know, potentially still trying to save some of the best parts of, of uh, those Star Wars legend stories and maybe pull them forward into canon again. Yeah, they've not been afraid to do that. You know, and everybody was up in arms when uh, Disney decided to make everything that was in the expanded universe uh, a into legends and just you know keep certain things as specifically as canon but one thing that the lucasfilm under disney has done very well recently is realize that these a lot of these characters and a lot of these situations people loved and we are going to find ways that if it works within the storyline if it works within the narrative we are going to try and return a lot of these to uh, actual canon yeah, um, the the next scene that we see in this trailer is uh, what appears to be C three PO kind of laying back on a on a slanted table. I don't know what you'd want to call it, medical table, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it was a dentist chair. He was getting a molar out. Yes, yes. He's uh, he's at the uh, droid dentist office. And uh, the interesting thing about C three PO in this shot is his photoreceptors are red instead of their normal gold. And um, 
this is another thing. Uh, a lot of people are kind of curious to see what this plays out to be. I do think that this shot ties in very closely with the shot we got in the first trailer of R2-D2 and the new droid Dio kind of tilting their heads a little bit uh, and looking at something. And it looks like it's that same type of workshop environment that we see C-3PO in here. So I think those shots are probably tied together. Um, and C-3PO with uh, red photoreceptors would certainly be something that would make anyone cock their head. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, I think somebody put it out there on social media, on Twitter, that, you know, activate instant kill. You know, if you remember from if you've ever watched uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and that kind of actually is along the lines of what I believe this might be. And, you know, some people want to say, oh, you know, is this is this dark C-3PO? And I'm like, I, what I believe it is, is that they're activating some sort of programming within him that you know now you're not just going to be a protocol droid like you're going to be part of this fight uh you know there's this uh leaked artwork for a, well, many months ago for a uh perspective um poster that never really came to fruition but you know one of the things that it was within it is that he is there with like a bandolier around him and whether or not that that is a completely fan-built uh piece of art or if that was actually something that uh lucasfilm was uh, contemplating putting out there you know those two things might really tie together at the time that that came out i thought for sure it was just something fan made and uh that specifically in regards to 3po uh wearing that bandolier and holding what appeared to be chewbacca's bowcaster that you know it was just someone kind of going crazy and having fun but in light of this footage um i think it is quite likely that exactly what you said is is going to be the case that they uh kind of need c3po to join the fight and they um, mess with his programming in a way that uh, allows him to be a little bit more aggressive. There is, interestingly enough, uh, within canon right now, another C-3PO uh, model droid uh, that does have red photoreceptors, and that's a character known as Triple Zero um, from the Star Wars comics, and that actually is indicative of uh, there's a behavioral module that gets installed in a, a 3PO model droid. And uh, on top of his etiquette and protocol functions, he's also uh, a torture droid um, yeah. and, is, and is not uh, not above uh, harming people if he is not loyal to them. So uh, whether this is kind of their way of tying that in, if, if that particular droid personality somehow got implanted into th uh, 3PO uh, within this new film, we will have to wait and see. But again, that is the only place currently in canon where you see a 3PO protocol droid with the red photoreceptors. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I just did start reading the Darth Vader comic series. As we've discussed it so many times in the show that we need to eventually start doing that. And I took note of that character right away. It's like, you know, if like C-3PO had some sort of really sadistic side because it's he talks almost exactly like C-3PO, and but then he's like, oh, good, I get to torture somebody. So really, really kind of a crazy character. Right. Um, and then from that particular shot, we move on to a shot of uh, Ray on what appears to be that same planet that we saw Leia on earlier. And this particular shot definitely looks a lot more like an Endor type scenario uh, than the one that we saw with Princess Leia. Um, she is uh, apparently very frustrated with something and we see her fling her saber away. Uh, it slices through a tree and if you kind of slow it down, you can see that there is a um, a training droid uh, similar to the one that we saw in the Falcon on uh, the original Star Wars film when Luke was kind of being trained with the lightsaber to use the force. 
and the droid moves out of the way. She slices through a tree, and then you see her kind of call the saber back to her hand, um, and her and the hand, uh, her left hand that she calls it back to is kind of wrapped in this red ribbon as well. So uh, not really sure where that red ribbon came from or what the story of that might be. I will say that with these two shots, um, it looks like they're from two different uh, pieces of footage. Um, the second one where you see the saber coming back to her hand, she looks like she's holding on to a tree branch of some sort. Uh, I'm not really sure, you know, what the purpose of that is or if it's just the angle that it's shot from, but, um, going to be interesting to see where this frustration and anger in Ray is coming from and, uh, how that kind of plays out in regards to another scene that we're going to get to here in a minute. Yeah. It, it, we could tell that she was upset by something and yes, I, 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 at first glance, I'm like, I think that there was some sort of training drone or training droid there and, uh, was trying to meant and i went back and did pause it just like you know i'm like yep there it is for sure and it's the look on her face is frustration whether it's frustration trying to uh defeat this this droid or whether it's something else from training um whatever the case may be uh it, it wasn't it definitely a a very i don't know exhausted tired sick of it look on ray's face yep uh, from that particular shot, we move on to, of course, a shot of Kylo Ren kind of stro uh, striding across this uh, snowy planet. Um, the sky of this planet uh, looks very much like the scene that we saw earlier with the Star Destroyers kind of all lying in wait. It's it's a dark kind of blackish blue sky stroked with lightning. And he's walking away from uh, what looks like, again, a TIE interceptor with that uh, ball cockpit, uh, similar to what we saw in the first trailer at the very beginning with um, with Ray leaping over that cockpit and kind of reaching down with her saber. This is not the same uh, TIE silencer that we saw him in during the events of The Last Jedi. Right. So, you know, obviously we were curious about what the ship was in the original teaser trailer and if that was Kylo Ren behind it. We still don't know for sure that it is, but it did look exactly like that ship, so it would lead you to believe that that was a possibility. Now, what the situation was in that teaser trailer, was it training? Was there something else going on there? We don't know, but uh, at least there that seemed to be confirmed that that is his ship. Yeah, and the interesting thing is the, the one thing we don't really see in this trailer are the Knights of Ren. Um, despite all the other imagery that we get and we know that the Knights of Ren are some somewhere and somehow a part of this film uh, we still have seen nothing of them so you know there's a question of are all the Knights of Ren flying these tie interceptors uh, with sure. that with that kind of red piping on them or is that just something that is uh, limited to Kylo Ren but we will have to Good wait point. yeah we will have to wait and see how that all plays out so uh, we've gotten our shot of Ray we've gotten our shot of Kylo it then feeds into one of the uh, shots that looks like it's very closely tied in with the new trailer, I'm sorry, the new uh, the new poster that they released for uh, The Rise of Skywalker with the two of these characters kind of fighting on what looks to be a fallen component of the Death Star. But uh, we see them kind of on the external superstructure of the Death Star, engaged in a lightsaber battle, Ray with her, you know, uh, trademark blue lightsaber, the Skywalker lightsaber, and Kylo with his red crossguard saber, uh, while the waves are kind of crashing all around them. So uh, at some point between when we see Ray looking out over, you know, the fallen component of the Death Star, 
uh, with the, you know, the other characters, uh, surrounding her, she ends up out here apparently alone and, uh, Kylo finds her and the battle is joined. Yeah. Very dramatic looking scene with the waves crashing and everything in them, uh, poised on this, whatever it was, a fallen component, a jetty of some sort, uh, whatever it is. Um, um, I just, my first impression on it is that this is something that happens relatively early on in the film. I don't know if it's along the lines of what you were thinking, Rob, with them, uh, getting the information that possibly leads leads them to the stockpile of these Star Destroyers uh, or what the case may be in that uh, either he's trying to get the same information or he's trying to stop her. But I, I just kind of had the feeling that this was not a climactic battle, that this was something that was going to happen much earlier on in the film. No, and I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, we know that Ray at the end of The Last Jedi had made off with uh, the copies of the ancient Jedi texts, but um, you know that is still probably not enough for her to... Uh, you know, if she is in fact going to try to, to revive the Jedi, um, and you know, certainly in this particular film, we know that she's going to have to deal with Kylo Ren as well as the, the Emperor himself, potentially, uh, that she would be looking for any advantage that she could to kind of complete her training on her own now that she doesn't really have anyone else to rely on. And on top of those ancient Jedi texts, the only other place that she would be able to get that knowledge would potentially be from Jedi holocron. So um, if, you know, early on, if, if the scenes that we see of her on that jungle planet are her trying to train and she's kind of run up against a, a point where she can't continue on without some assistance and uh, potentially she then is, is trying to figure out where she can get a hold of some Jedi holocrons or some sort of uh, materials that the Emperor might have had, which uh, would then cause her to go look for that uh, the remains of the Death Star and, and cause her to go out there. Um, that could easily be something that feeds into a lot of the uh, the additional scenes that we see within this trailer where, you know, then she does happen to stumble across these uh, Star Destroyers, and certainly Palpatine is going to fit in here somewhere as well. Um, but I just don't know if we have enough information at this point to, to kind of piece it all together no i don't think we have nearly enough information to try and piece it all together uh, but it is uh great dramatic scenery that it looks it's going to play a huge part and i'm just uh, on you know i can't say anything more than i'm so excited to see how it all plays out yep and uh so uh, one the other the other thing that i will say is going back a moment to um, the scene where we saw Kylo Ren kind of walking away from his TIE Interceptor is that uh, that planet with kind of the snowy surface could easily be the planet of Kajimi that we kind of saw um, in the first trailer, that mountainous snow-covered planet. Uh, but then the question is just going to be, um, you know, if, if that is the planet that is tied back to this kind of blackish-blue lightning stroke sky, uh, then that may also be uh, the location or nearby may also be the location of where those uh, Star Destroyers are being kind of hidden until Palpatine is ready for them. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I agree with you. The color palette, everything looked similar uh, along those lines, that dark, you know, ominous feel to it uh, with the cold of the ice and snow, which kind of just it just leads you to, you know, that the, the dark side would be kind of cold, you know. So uh, who knows? But uh, I I do follow along your path there for sure yeah and so from the battle between ray and kylo the the teaser kind of cuts to black uh and we do hear uh, a, a voiceover then from darth sidious uh aka emperor palpatine where he states your journey nears its end and then it cuts to a shot of what appears to be dark side ray 
Uh, she's holding a dual-bladed lightsaber with both blades kind of uh, side by side. And as the scene uh, cuts away or as the shot cuts out away from her and we get more of a wide-angle shot, the uh, one of the pieces of the saber swing down and lock in, and she's holding a saber staff uh, with the red kind of crackling Sith blade. Uh, and that crackling blade, um, as I had talked about with Tom last night, is indicative of a crack kyber crystal. It's the same type of thing that we see going on with uh, Kylo Ren's lightsaber. So the big question here is, is this ray turned to the dark side? Is this a force vision? Uh, you know, What are we seeing here and how does that kind of tie into what we should come to expect in this film. Right. So much speculation on it. Is this something that could be, I know I've seen people speculate on whether it's something with training that is kind of like the, uh, the tree that uh, uh, in the cave that Luke went into uh, in, uh, in the empire strikes back where he kind of has to face himself uh, or face, he faces Vader and ends up, cracking the mask and ends up you know cutting off his head and that it's his face there is that something that is going to be a vision and some sort of training for ray is this actual ray that she's done some some reason she's turned to the dark side as as the anger that she's had you know led her to this path is palpatine her lineage and that has led her to this path is this clone ray you know I, there's just so many possibilities out there that what this could be i it, it, it is uh, it's amazing and it leads to so much speculation and it's one of the things we love we've talked about this many times when these trailers come out and how excited we are about it and you know we want to discuss all these things and run through all these possibilities in our heads of what does this mean and i love the way the star wars does this with so many of them and some of this stuff is a lot of times just a diversion is not really what it is what you you think it is but it's it's just interesting to speculate about just the same yeah certainly and i mean again as we've mentioned there's so many paths this could be going down i have a hard time believing that we're going to see ray fall to the dark side within this particular film uh, because i don't think that resolves really anything um, and they would need additional films to kind of explore that journey um but uh, as we've mentioned, you know, the certain there's certainly been parallels in past films, past uh, sequel films, where they kind of tied back to certain elements from the original trilogy. And uh, this being a Force Vision certainly would would kind of meet that. Um, the interesting thing about this lightsaber is that it is uh, essentially very much like what we saw the Jedi Temple guards using. Um, they had these lightsabers that were hinged in the middle, and uh, they could extend into a saber staff. Uh, very similar to what we see Ray wielding here. And I again, I, I'm glad that at some point they show Ray holding a saber staff. From the very beginning of The Force Awakens, seeing her with that staff, I always assumed that that was going to be a direction they went with her. Um, but I did not expect it to be a Sith saber. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I, I'm in the... <laughs> I'm in the camp of uh, no matter what happens here, what is the situation in that clip that we saw? Ray does not end up on the dark side. Um, I it, does she falls for a little bit and is redeemed? I wouldn't shock me if that's a possibility. But at the end of this film, no matter what the situation was, uh, I do not believe that she will end up. She's just too much of a light side hero, and I think it's intriguing to have that as a possibility that because that was what we went through with Luke as well, is there was always the possibility, he was kind of teetering on the possibility of always 
falling to the dark side. And I think you see a little bit of that with Ray, but I just don't believe the end result will be dark Ray. Yeah, um, there is precedence for that uh, with Luke specifically. Um, Kind of after the original trilogy came out, there was a series of comics called the Dark Empire comics. And it um, it had to do with the resurgence of Emperor Palpatine. Uh, he had managed to keep his spirit alive and, and flee to a clone uh, that he had had prepared for him. And, and he had a number of clones actually prepared. So anytime he was killed, he could just, uh, you know, kind of merge into one of these clone bodies. And when Luke discovered that and realized that he was essentially unbeatable, uh, he kind of went through a crisis of faith and fell to the dark side for a period of time. And uh, Leia actually comes along and is the one that saves him. Uh, redeems him and they end up destroying the emperor together so i don't know that they're going to necessarily go that route in a film i think that's kind of a little too far down the rabbit hole for most star wars fans but we do know that palpatine uh, is not averse to to cloning uh he certainly employed that to great effect in attack of the clones and you know the clone wars were a result of that Uh, so cloning troops and and troopers is something that he's done there is also precedence in Star Wars Legends for, as you mentioned, you know, um, there was a clone of Luke that was created that was essentially a, a dark side version of Luke uh, that he had to, uh, you know, uh, fight and defeat um, during the Thrawn trilogy. So, so there's some precedence for that as well. But I do think that we're going to see something clone related with Emperor Palpatine. I just don't know that there's going to be enough time in this film for J.J. Abrams to develop any of those storylines uh, as well as he would need to, and still wrap up all the loose ends that have to be addressed before this film is is at its end. Right. I mean, to, to try and describe how all these things occur, I think it needs to be broken down pretty simply into you know some sort of backstory as to why uh, Emperor Palpatine still is existence, and you know what what led to this, and you know if it is a clone, how that happened. But it, it just seems like that's just yeah, like you said, Rob. But is perfect uh, that you mentioned. It's just it's too deep a rabbit hole to to travel through for this film and still have it come in under you know three hours. I I see this film as being very similar to Avengers: Infinity War in the sense that I think it's going to be very close to three hours. I think he's going to need a lot of runway to wrap up the story in a way that's going to be satisfying i guess to a lot of star wars fans but i think that it's going to still require a lot of economy emotion on his part um, in telling that story and kind of breaking it down into its component parts i think that they are going to be helped by the fact that it does sound like you know the the core group of heroes is going to be kept together uh ray and finn and poe and chewbacca and uh, r2 and uh 3po and dio they're basically all going to be traveling together in this film as opposed to being broken out into separate storylines but i still think there's a lot of ground to cover uh and even in a three-hour film it's going to be a a tight uh, ask from jj right well i mean they've mentioned it so many times that look this is the end of an era essentially you know it's the end of the skywalker saga we need to do that justice and i i don't believe that they're going to you know knock out an hour and 40 minute film and 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 do you know that justice it's got to be if it's under 240 i'd be shocked you know two hours 40 minutes i i do believe it'll be closer to three hours i i think that's exactly what they need to do to let this breathe to let the story play out to let the narrative play out plus to give uh you know some justice to the films that preceded it and i i really believe that that's exactly what we'll see and i i your your tie into avengers endgame rob and it's exactly the same thing remember that that film also tied into all the films 
films that preceded it. Uh, they needed to let that all sink in, to let that breathe. And I really believe that this is going to happen also within this film. Yeah, I, I am in complete agreement. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I, I feel a lot of uh, positivity and hope that this film is going to be the film that we want to have to wrap up this nine-story arc. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out when we get there in December. In regards to D23 and, and specifically the content uh, related to Star Wars that came out at D23, is there anything else that uh, kind of jumped out at you while you were at D23 that, that we failed to mention? Uh, nothing film wise. I mean, they you know they they once again had some stuff on the floor that was uh, the progression of the stormtroopers. They had that. If you were at uh, San Diego Comic Con, they had that there as well. It was the exact same setup. It was just uh, you know it was really great to see it. And they had a lot of the film clips playing above it, and they just had all the different uh, levels of stormtroopers throughout the various generations uh, within it. Uh, but then you know there was a lot of there was some interesting park news that came out uh, that as far as if you're a a Star Wars fan and uh, like your Disney parks as well. There was some fascinating stuff that that, that came out of that, and including a a, a, a more revealing peek into the ride that's going to be opening at Walt Disney World here in just about three months, a little over three months time and in uh, the Disneyland Resort in about a little over four months time and the rise of uh, the resistance and uh, boy I I know some of the footage is leaked online now and they've had a little piece of it also even on the uh, Walt Disney World website but it, it looks absolutely incredible what this attraction is going to consist of. It's It's amazing. Yeah, I I do think that the fact that that ride is not open at either park right now is certainly a contributing factor in the in the fact that um, maybe it had the land hasn't been trafficked as highly as some people were anticipating. I know you and I have talked about it kind of jokingly in that um, you know everyone expected it was just going to be completely swarmed, bogged down. It was going to be a nightmare. You know, four or five hour waits for everything, and the fact that that hasn't come to come to be. Uh, a lot of people are interpreting that as, you know, the lands have failed. But again, we are dealing with a two-phase opening in both parks. We're dealing with a scenario where right now, I mean, as of today, the only park that is fully open is out there at Disneyland Resort. And there are so many more factors that you have to uh, consider in terms of all the annual pass holders, etc. Um, it kind of remains to be seen what happens once, uh, you know, those blackouts uh, start coming uh, coming off the books. And we're only, what, two days or uh, a day and a half away from the opening of the land at Disney's Hollywood Studios, the official opening of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge down at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. So I think that is probably going to be a very interesting indicator of what we should expect. But um, again, because they're opening earlier and at Walt Disney World, it takes so much more runway to plan a trip down there. Um, there's still going to be people that hold out and probably a lot of people that hold out until it is fully open with Rise of the Resistance uh, in December uh, before we start seeing the kind of traffic that people anticipated. Right, and I've said it before on, on your show, Rob, that anybody who's actually been to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and is a Star Wars fan uh, would not say it was a failure. And I, I, I know it's not a failure. What happens, What's happened at Disneyland, I'm convinced, is it's kind of the perfect storm of Disney being a little bit overcautious of this, not knowing what to expect. They don't want there to be 
10 hour lines, five hour, six hour, seven hour lines, like we saw for Universe for Hagrid's, the Hagrid attraction at Universal. They don't want that. So they put in some measures to kind of prevent that before it even started. They raised the prices. They blacked out a lot of annual passes, which if you know anything about the Disneyland Resort, it's driven by annual pass holders who come from, you know, less than within the, an area of, you know, less than two hours away, just millions and millions of people. Uh, and then, you know, there was also, you know, the fact that people were scared that there were going to be so many people there that they'd like, well, I'm not going to, you know, spend my money right now when it's just going to be ridiculously crowded all the time. So you put all, and then of course, you know, the fact that they, you know, they, they are holding off on the second phase till they get this attraction exactly right and ready to go. They want that to run and function perfectly. So uh, you put all those things together and that's kind of led to where it hasn't been maybe as attended as they expected it to be. But the one thing I think Disney is, is good at doing is they're reading, they'll, they'll read the room on this. You know, they've, they've maybe overcompensated for what they expected. Now they can see what's happened and they can adjust as they move along. They may open up fewer blackout dates as they move forward. I don't believe they'll to take the price of tickets down anytime soon, but you know, they may make it more available to more people. They offer better ticket options occasionally, better specials. And I, I really believe that you're going to see Disney like, okay, this worked to a point. Maybe it worked too good. Let's adjust it and make it the best possible way we can yeah i will say that just today there was some news that came out that uh it kind of as we anticipated and how we and as we'd mentioned on a previous show that uh this idea of a virtual queuing system is going to be put in effect at walt disney world resort similar to what goes on at disneyland resort and um again the best way to guarantee that you're going to be able to get into the land on the schedule that you want is to go out there and get a reservation for say Ogus cantina uh, it's probably your best bet because that will guarantee you part of a boarding group. But if you want to do a lightsaber at Savi's lightsaber workshop, or if you want to do a droid at uh, Mobu's droid depot, then definitely you can make a reservation for those. Um, and that will guarantee that you get into that land for a window surrounding your reservation time. So uh, I know that's worked really well out at Disneyland Resort, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how they implement that at Walt Disney World. Yeah, I think that that is exactly, the, you know, again, uh, Disneyland was a little bit of the proving ground on that, and uh, Walt Disney World is following suit exactly what worked for Disney. And again, you know, this is going to be a, a, a learning process for our both coasts. You know, it may not work perfectly to begin with uh, at the Walt Disney World Resort either, uh, but the, the, they'll learn from it, they'll adjust, and they'll, they'll try and make it the best experience they possibly can for all their guests. Yep. And that's really all they can do. I mean, this was always their plan from the beginning. Disneyland was intended to be kind of the proving ground, as Tom said, for uh, them to get a feel for what strategies would work best to kind of control the crowds in and out of the land. And the intent was always to make sure that people didn't go there uh, to get into this land and it's too crowded to enjoy all the subtle nuances of it. Uh, it was going to be too ridiculously long to wait to get on the attractions or to enjoy the cantina. Um, they have made adjustments over the course of the past few months and I just think that that is going to translate into a better experience for the people who are you know are spending their money to, to go on what should be uh, you know a vacation that they're doing once every few years. Uh, as opposed to, you know, I know that sometimes I get a little bit skewed because I get down there more often than most people do. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are only able to go once every five years, maybe only once in a lifetime. Uh, and I don't think anyone wants to 
uh, have any of those guests get down there and, and find that they have a huge disappointment on their hands. Exactly right. And speaking of once in a lifetime, the other big news, parks related, <laughs> that came out of uh, the parks experiences and products panel was they gave us a lot more details on the new Star quote Star Wars themed hotel end quote, uh, which is basically going to be now they've given us a title. It's going to be Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. You're going to basically be on a two-day cruise, star cruise, on this ship that's called the Halcyon, and uh, it looks absolutely amazing. I, they, I'll just go through what they told us on this. Is like you're going to check in at the, basically a, a spaceport, and then you'll be uh, launched to the ship. You're going to, you know, be welcomed into the lobby where there. It's going to be basically like you're going on a cruise ship through outer space. You're going to be on there, going to this lobby. They they showed some concept artwork with various different aliens. Chewbacca's in there. Stormtroopers are in there, and everything. And then basically you're just immersed in this ship for the entire two days that you're there. Uh, they showed a great uh, picture of a cantina with look like a virtual sabak game being played. Uh, there's going to be some times where you're going to get to visit the bridge and who knows when you're in there because we're going to be teaching you how to fly the ship and maybe something crazy might happen like there may be some sort of attack. Uh, the cabins are going to look out to visions uh, of where you're traveling through space. You are going to have a, what they even called it, a, a, a port day where you're going to be, uh, you know, uh, shuttled to Bat the, the the planet of Batu to Black Spire Outpost. So you're going to experience that. Uh, there also is going to be the chance where you're going to be able to take up a lightsaber and fight against one of those training droids we discussed a little bit ago. They say that there's the, the decisions you make within. Your your two day cruise are going to kind of provide you with jobs that you will fulfill while you're on the ship. It, it, it'll change the storyline could change depending on what you do on the ship. It is you know if if uh, if Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is the next level of immersiveness within the Star Wars universe, then this is like almost the ultimate of it. Like you are for two days are going to be within Star Wars almost entirely. It's it sounds amazing. It's going to probably be incredibly expensive, but somehow I'm going to find a way to do this because it just sounds so phenomenal. Yeah, I would caution any of our listeners who have heard any uh, rumors of what the pricing for this particular experience is going to be, that all of that information is coming from one source, uh, and it is a uh, quote-unquote news outlet that's really more of a uh, tabloid journalism type outlet. Uh, I, I haven't heard any other uh, of the more respected Star Wars uh, news outlets or, or websites breaking any kind of information on pricing. So I would take all that with a giant grain of salt. I do agree that it is going to be expensive when it does come out. Um, and it is going to, you know, this is truly a boutique hotel. There's a limited number of rooms uh, and it's going to be intended for people who really want to uh, soak up this experience. It's it's going to be, as Tom said, like a cruise. It's going to be all-inclusive uh, for most of the types of things that you're going to be doing. The dining is going to be included, etc. cetera. Uh, obviously, not the, not the things that you can find in the shops, but um, it is going to provide an experience that that is just something you can't get anywhere else. 
And, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that most of the people who are going to be willing to pay these uh, top level prices for this experience are going to kind of want to be involved and kind of live that Star Wars story for a couple of days. It sounds like, and, and my wife, Michelle, who I do the podcast with, and she was, of course, with me at uh, the D23 Expo, uh, discussed, you know, what it would be like, you know, because you know, we've done many Disney cruises, many cruises even not with Disney before, and we kind of know how those days go, and we kind of think that this is going to be very similar along those lines, that you're going to get on board, and you're going to get on, and you're going to want to do stuff, you, you're not going to necessarily want to go to your cabin and just kind of wait out the, the trip in your cabin until you can go to too now you're you're going to want to go and and be in the mess hall and and experience the you know when they they give you a time to go uh to the uh bridge and when you get a chance to uh fight against the training droid or whatever the case may be and whatever these jobs are gonna be you are going to be filled with activities throughout the day that you can take part of to live your star wars dream to live your star wars story and it just sounds absolutely incredible i uh, you know again it's going to be you, you mentioned it rob it's it's going to be expensive but it just seems like it's one of those once in a lifetime things that a star wars fan needs to find a way to do at some point oh the other interesting note on this is that uh it's going to be also like a cruise in that they're not going to have just people boarding on random days like no they're going to be like two two day two night itineraries so everybody's going to board the same time everybody's going to get off at the same time so you know your grouping that you're with is going to be with you for this experience yeah i've actually i've been really happy because the way that this hotel is working out is exactly kind of how i was describing it to my wife when the original uh, news was breaking about the fact that they were going to build this hotel and it was going to have view screens inside that were essentially views out into space i just i couldn't see them having uh, a standard hotel parking situation where you park your car and walk up to the building and then you go inside and poof, you're in space. Uh, I always assumed that it was going to be kind of a shuttle port and you uh, would board that. There had been some news that had come out about uh, kind of putting screens in some of the bus systems around Walt Disney World. Um, and I immediately took that to kind of be a parallel to what they did with the train over at Universal um, with the Hogwarts Express. So um, it's playing out exactly how I thought they were going to do it. They're clearly interested in making sure people stay immersed in the story. And it sounds like it's just going to be uh, an incredible experience for the people who are lucky enough to get access to it. So um, the, the one other thing I will say is that the ship name that was released, uh, it's, it's Star Wars uh, Galactic Star Cruiser. Um, but it's, uh, the ship is actually called the Halcyon, and it's from Chandrillon. Uh, I'm sorry, the Chandrilla uh, Starlines, which is ironically the uh, home planet of Mon Mothma. That's the planet that she was the senator for within the Star Wars uh, universe. So uh, it is tied back to, to Mon Mothma specifically. And I think it's just going to be really cool to see how this all plays out. Yeah. Um, you know, even when they were presenting this to us uh, at the panel, uh, the presenter was there talking about how, you know, how you're going to live this thing. And you're even when you're first going from the the you know, boarding port onto your shuttle uh, up to your ship and you're going to dock with the ship and then the doors are going to open and they're going to have that classic Star Wars door opening whoosh that you know from the films. You know, that's, then that's how, that's how much they've thought about this is they want it down to every little detail uh, to make you really feel like you're within this amazing, amazing star cruise. Right. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much ties it up for most of the information that was released at D23 in regards to Star Wars. 
Um, it was perfect having you guys actually in attendance. Uh, you know, it kind of brings that extra layer of detail uh, that you don't really get when you're sitting at home and, and watching the panels unfold. Um, to actually be there, there in the room and kind of feel that electricity. Um, and again, as you mentioned, I mean, it's got to be so overwhelming with all the things that they offer that it's even more incredible when all of a sudden something that had slipped your mind. Um, and mm. certainly with the Kenobi announcement, I mean, that rumor has been bandied about so many times over the years, uh, even to the point where there were, you know, fan-made trailers for it, or uh, I believe there was one trailer that Ewan McGregor actually had put together himself um, or had put together uh, that he starred in. I mean, there's been so many times where it's, it's been like, Oh, is this really happening? And, and to see this finally come into fruition um, it's just, it's another yet another Star Wars dream coming true. Absolutely. It was for me. I just couldn't believe it was happening. You know, the other funny thing about the uh, when, we, when they actually did the the um, the trailer, well, the sizzle reel for the Rise of Skywalker is, you know, you're watching this trailer and it's amazing it, or you know, the sizzle reel, whatever you want to call it. And it's amazing. And you go through and you get to the end and then you see Dark Ray at the end of it. And I like I was so taken aback and shocked by it that I nearly forgotten everything else I had seen within that that piece of film and I had to go talk about it on our podcast that night and I'm like trying to remember okay what did I see what did I see I was so wishing that that Ian McDermott would come out and say roll it again <laughs> because I really needed to view it one more time I'm so glad they've since released it to uh, the general public so you can all view it out there and I got to see it again uh, a couple more hundred times before coming home with you today rob that's the way we do it around here so uh, if you haven't seen it 200 times it, it's not it's not true dedication right exactly <laughs> terrific so yeah do you want to give the guests or you know our listeners uh some information on the hyperion adventures podcast um i'm sure that a lot of our listeners if they haven't already um would love to go check out the star wars remembered series for sure yeah absolutely we've been going through all the star wars films in star wars chronological order so starting with episode one and moving forward uh just a couple weeks ago rob joined us he's joined us for all of them but he joined us for our look back at episode four new hope of course the original star wars film and then next month it is coming up here in just a few weeks as a matter of fact uh, we'll be doing uh, episode 5 The Empire Strikes Back very excited for that and you can find all our shows including uh, we our wrap up episodes from the D23 Expo where we talked about everything that went on uh, during that uh, convention uh, you can find that at our website HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com uh, you can also find us pretty much everywhere else you get podcasts including Apple Podcasts uh, Google Podcasts Spotify Stitcher we're all over the place and if you want to follow us on social media you can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast Facebook Instagram and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast yeah definitely give them a listen uh, tell a friend if you enjoy the show uh, and they're certainly both with Star Wars content as well as Marvel and all the rest of the Disney content that they do uh, they put out a lot of great shows and are totally worth your time to watch so uh, or sorry listen to in that particular case so uh, as far as we go uh, you obviously found us here today uh, you can find us on any of the major podcast platforms if you uh, happen to listen to podcasts on a platform that we are not found on drop me a line at jtapodcast at gmail.com and I'll make sure that we get out there uh, you can also find our podcasts on our website at jtapodcast.com 
and on social media at JTA Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And uh, again, if you would give us a review, a rating, uh, tell a friend, anything you can do to spread the word. Um, We just want to grow this podcast and really uh, make it something where you can both learn about Star Wars in in a way that's fun, uh, as well as just kind of uh, get to give us some feedback on the things that you're thinking about, um, whether it's topics for future shows, or if you just want to get into a discussion about your theory on any of these topics, uh, we would love to have that conversation with you. Twitter is typically the best place to do that. Um, or email uh, certainly would work for us as well. So uh, we're looking forward to being back with you guys next week. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about Cad Bane, who uh, is a bounty hunter from the animated series that is certainly an interesting character. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing you a lot of new content here in the next few months, as well as some reviews once I get out to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, uh, which should be happening here in about the next two to three weeks. So have a great week, and may the Force be with you.